Hello and welcome. Matthew Grant here recording this on another very balmy autumn day here in London. Well, it can't last forever, but I'm enjoying it whilst it does. Now, insurance doesn't make its way into the mainstream media very much. And if it does, it's usually for the wrong reasons. The Financial Times had a fascinating article last weekend, 29th of October, by James Max, who writes a regular column. And this week he reveals that he is paying £4,000 for some pet insurance for his two dogs. Yes, heard that correct. £4,000 a year or $4,600. And having explained the costs he would have incurred if his pets hadn't been insured, he still thinks it's worth it. Well, blockchain versus pet insurance. Which one did you think would be the InsureTech winner back in 2016? And what does that mean for the future? Our guest today, Nick Mayer, launched DQ Pro at that time. And the success of the company since then is another reminder that often the best opportunities for building a business is to tackle the problems that just get in the way of getting the job done. Problems which not only add extra friction, time and cost, but can also lead to some very expensive mistakes if not kept under control. We're talking about data and importantly, how to manage the quality of that data. Now, when Nick and I recorded our first podcast back in 2020, the issue with data quality did not always get the attention it deserved at the senior level in companies. But as Nick and I discussed, that's changed a lot now. And the growth in the number of DQ Pro clients is just one indicator of how this issue is now definitely in the top 10 issues of concern to business leaders. Well, we're delighted of DQ Pro as one of our core members and to find out how we are helping some of the best data, technology and analytics companies share their stories and solutions to the world. Please go on type me, Matthew Grant or any of us via LinkedIn or hello at instec.co. Nick, delighted to be talking to you again. It's been a while since we run the podcast together, episode 66. We'll be talking a bit more about that in a moment, uh, but we're talking about DQ Pro. You were founded back in 2016 and you monitor insurers' data and you help them apply controls and alerts to improve the quality of underwriting and compliance, both very important. Your CEO and co-founder, and prior to DQ Pro, you ran Atticus Associates Consulting in London Market. And before that, you were actually working in industry. We're going back to your roots as a business analyst with the organization is now Axe XL. Welcome and welcome back. Thanks, Matthew. Delighted to be back on the podcast again. Thanks for having me. And always fascinating to know why somebody started a company. Was there a was there a period for you when you sort of were in employment for somebody else and you went, crikey, it's now time to go and do my own thing? And if so, it'd be great to know what that was. Yeah, well, I started carrier side, so working for an insurance company in London. That was that was great. You learn a lot about how the business works. And then I went into consulting. But after that, you start to look at how can we start to build something that makes a difference in the marketplace. The real aha moment was when we realized that we had lots of data warehouses that were constantly receiving bad data and causing lots of problems. So we asked ourselves a question, how can we improve that data at a much earlier point in the process for those companies? And that's really where the idea came for DQ Pro. It's slightly different than some people where they're working in an organization, but you're actually running a consulting business. You had a problem or your clients had a problem and you thought, right, we can get to the heart of this problem. And at that time, I don't think anybody was solving it in the way you are with a, with a product, were they? They were trying to, which again, is a great, a great sign. If you see lots of IT departments uh, in your market trying to build something in-house, not always doing the best job of it. 
it's quite a tactical solution usually, then that's quite a great basis to build a product. In our market, we're seeing it at the moment with something like, say, an underwriting workbench where those were built in-house and we're now seeing commercial solutions with the likes of Send and other, other providers out there building their own. So we saw a similar pattern uh, when it came to monitoring data and that was a good sign that something was required. Yeah, that whole build versus buy dynamic. And so can you just sort of bring to life what DQ Pro does possibly through the eyes of a sort of typical user if there is such a thing? Let's say you are Sophie and you're heading up an operations team for a large specialty insurance carrier. And you might start your day knowing that you've received several hundred policies into your systems the day before, uh, but you don't have necessarily a clear view on any data issues with those policies. So our software provides a timely email at start of each day. Users can see exactly where those issues lie. Clicking on that email then takes them into our application where they can address that using quite a, quite a rich feature set. That's saving Sophie a huge amount of time in either discovering those issues accidentally or having to deal with them in a very reactive way down the line, it's causing the business problem. So they're dealt with early at source and there's a full audit trail behind all of that for the regulator. Yeah, I mean, these workflow systems are, are really critical. I think often people forget about the, how important this process is. You know, it's not everyone's favorite topic to look at, but I think what you've done is you've built that process in there. You've got the rules that people might have been able to develop themselves or create through their own queries, but you're actually putting a sort of wrap around it. So it just creates a lot more efficiency for the individuals. But like, you know, so much technology, it still needs the individuals to be doing the work. It was, I suspect, quite a long way before you could totally automate the sort of data cleansing, highlighting of where the errors were. You still, you still need your user at the front end of that to pick up the problems and fix them. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. We still like to believe that straight through processing is going to be a reality sometime soon in specialty, but the complexity and the number of parties involved in the placing process mean that there's still some way off yet. And actually, uh, there's still a huge amount of human triage required when processing specialty business uh, that can't easily be automated. So therefore, the tech challenge is to produce a way of helping the human operator do their job faster. You'll be familiar with the sport of curling, and I often think technology is a bit like the sweepers in curling. And for those that don't know curling, it's where you've got people throwing big polished stones across a frozen loch or lake, depending on where you are doing it. And uh, the job of the sweeper is to brush all the ice out of the way, all the bits of ice out of the way, and make the the uh, big stone go faster. And I think you know, this is what good technology does. You're making it go faster by removing all the friction from the process. So I don't know, Nick, if I've totally sort of... Uh, destroy the elegance of your software by relating it back to curling, but it's always for me a sort of helpful way to, to remind us that often speed and efficiency and removing friction is really high value before you have to go down the route of getting too complicated or too clever with uh, with what you're doing. I'll take that. And aren't Scotland world champions in curling or were world champions at one point? So I'll take that. Take that twice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, good. So uh, we spoke three years ago, or we spoke on the podcast three years ago. Uh, I, I didn't even know you've got over a thousand listeners now. So you've hit that 1,000 fans record. When we spoke then, you know, one of the challenges you had was that although I think people intellectually understood the importance of getting their data quality right and, and sort of people making decisions, I sort of describe it as the kind of issue that is number 11 on people's top 10 list of things to do. So it never quite got the attention it should have done. 
I think that's changed, hasn't it, in the last few years? Have you seen this now getting a, a sort of more attention from people at senior levels making decisions about how they're spending their time and their money? Definitely. And I think it's a couple of reasons behind that. There's always the adoption curve. So you always get leaders. We are really privileged to have now 10 of the world's largest specialty insurance carriers. That's 10 of the biggest ones using our software day in, day out. That sets a bit of a milestone um, for others in terms of what good looks like. So that's great. But I think the biggest factor has probably been the continued push for, for digital. So if we're going to join up components and, and improve efficiency across the market, then good, clean, trusted data flowing through the pipes is a, an essential. And, and most boards recognize that now. It's not optional. Beginning in sort of 2009, Solvency 2 had a whole lot of requirements around data quality, and that was enough to get people kind of like raising an eyebrow. But what we see now is that people are saying, well, we have to get this right if we're going to play in this future landscape. That's been a huge benefit to where we are now. It's really impressive, Nick. So you've got 10 of the world's largest specialty carriers in there from, you know, from business that's only been going a few years. And of course, you've got other clients outside of there as well. So you're clearly getting yeah, that, um, enough market share to demonstrate both the validity of the concept and of the company as well. But that's been done organically. You haven't had external funding. So that puts a lot of pressure on you growing the business to make the right choices. You don't have the luxury of investment funds to be able to go out and test and explore. So, so how do you make sure that you're making the right decisions when you invest in the building out the product? Yeah, it's a good, great point. When capital's limited, you have to be very careful. You can't afford to take crazy bets like you can if you're, say, a venture-backed company. And it's, it's much more about measured risk. So for us, that's, that's about having a really tight feedback loop with our customers. We have several user groups a year. We have discussion forums. We have webinars. And our customers love the product. They're very keen to talk to us about where it can be improved. And I think our last release, we had over 20 new features. It's really rewarding to get that feedback. We put them through a kind of filtering process and best ones make it into a release. In addition to that, we are also focused on making sure the, uh, the product aligns with the future market landscape. So that's all about looking ahead and we throw in, you know, a few, few ideas of our own because when you go deep on a product, as we have over the past five years, you constantly have new ideas yourself about what, what would move the market forward. Not all of those make the final, uh, final cut, but the ones that do have been real differentiators for us. Yeah, and that's a real skill, that, to be able to combine your own vision of the future, sense check it with your clients and prospects and actually get new ideas from them. And there's always a balance between what you want to focus on and what people are telling you. Of those 20 you mentioned, what would be one example that you, you've, you've actually invested in and seen success over the last few years that was sort of driven by both client demand and your view of what's happening in the external world? Well, uh, everyone needs an API now to play in a future market. It's, it's not optional. It's, as your partner Robin said, it's, it's very much table stakes to be able to operate. But we're really proud of our DQ Pro Connect API, which is a fairly recent release. That's all about providing our service further upstream, further up the chain placement process, either at market level or at broker or MGA level. It's about being able to call our validation rules as a service from any third-party system and delivering that value to the business user at the right point, at the right time in the risk-placing process. Now, I love that sort of quote, everyone needs an API. 
I did look this up the other day. The first APIs were introduced in 2000. So it's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. 22 years. And we're still having a conversation where you'd even have to say that, you know, it wouldn't sort of been inherent in everyone's development plans at least 15 years ago. Um, but no, it's good, good to hear that working. And then in terms of the timescales, so speed of decision-making is is really critical for organizations. People are getting more data, but you know, part of the success and actually part of keeping managing the cost or keeping the cost down is speed of decision-making. What do you find is best practice for people that are making the most effective use of DQ Pro or working with you? Well, obviously, the sooner you know about a control breach, a compliance breach, any kind of data issue, the better. So a real-time approach where you, you are notified within minutes, seconds, hours is always going to be better than finding out about it at month end or gap close, which we've seen frequently. We still see issues where people are coming, you know, trying to pull the numbers together at year end and coming across serious issue that happened back in July. So it's all about getting it right first time. Uh, and that means delivering that to end users in a way that works, that's efficient, that gives them a second pair of eyes on that data. That habit of the London market of exchanging spreadsheets uh, or board rows as they're known monthly, I guess it's just, it's just part of that process. And if you can kind of pull that up front and, and right to the point of actually underwriting, it makes a massive difference. And then you so touched on this briefly before with the clients in terms of the specialty insurance business, but you started off in the London market. You're still very active there and active with the companies in Lloyd's. But what happens to the rest of the world? Are some of the things you are helping people with transferable outside of the UK? Yeah, well, the London market obviously is an amazing market with a rich tradition, a rich history. Um, but it's easy to forget it's not the only specialty insurance market in the world. And um, much of the business that US specialty carriers are writing is, is similar, albeit within a, a different regulatory regime and with a different set of challenges for us, I think, at some of the sites we're already in that we, we branched into from our London base. So we're already being used at 14, something like that, countries across the world. Uh, but the US market is uh, a big draw for us, a focus for the future, Bermuda and Asia as well. Well, I'm not going to put you on the spot by asking this question, but at some point, it'd be quite interesting to see the DQ Pro quality index of, uh, of countries around the world and which ones are better with their uh, their data quality or not. That, I could see that might get quite a lot of uh, a lot of following. Uh, great idea. We're hearing a lot about MGAs in terms of, you know, you mentioned investment before. Some of the organizations that are getting the greatest investment out there and you look at insurance or, in, or insure tech. How does that play back into where people like MGAs are coming to you for help with their data? Do they see that's their responsibility or do they rely on their insurance capacity to sort out the data issues? Uh, it depends on a couple of things. I think it depends on, on the size. Firstly, if you're a large MGA, then you're almost certainly going to have all kinds of data challenges with, with your intake from potentially hundreds of brokers. I think it's a great differentiator to be able to say that you're supplying good, accurate, trusted data to your capacity partners. And um, increasingly, MGAs agree and are talking to us about how they can make that happen. So if you're a Hiscox, for example, and you want to set a policy with one of your MGAs to provide data in a certain way, our software helps that MGA to achieve that. Yeah, and I know organizations like Vase now coming out of Canopius with the way they're selling their policies, you know, they're going right up 
into the office of the agent and requiring that information to be a certain quality and digital. So it's not going through this ridiculous process of someone enters into a system and then they print it out on a bit of paper which gets scanned and somebody else has to go and extract the data from it. It's all tied into the quality if you get it right digitally first. Yeah. And I think in an analog world, it's very much the carrier that picked up the pieces because they were kind of the last point in the, in the data chain. If you remove reinsurers for a second, but you know, data would fly through several brokers, several systems, an MGA, a market system, and it would end up a uh, carrier side where they'd have to pick up the pieces and sort it out. So that's, that changes in a digital world where you very much get a quick indication of that data being incorrect and you need to take action at that point. And increasingly, there's going to be an, uh, there's going to be an increasing onus on MGAs and brokers to play their part in making sure this, this works effectively. I want to come back to how external parties or maybe even clients should think about assessing the quality and sort of rigor of their business partner because funding figures are public. So, you know, early stage company that's got funding, you get an indication of that. You get to the later stage and you sort of start to get a sense of revenue because that's, that's published. But what happens for an organization like yourself? I mean, how, how should someone look at DQ Pro and decide whether you've got enough presence and therefore you're going to, you know, going to be around for a while when they're looking to partner with, you know, an organization that's been going for uh, six years and hasn't got external funding? Our team are just delighted to build a product that 1,600 people use every day, day in, day out. Uh, they're going to be working on DQ Pro across the specialty market. That's great social proof. And social proof counts for everything when it comes to the insurance market. It's, it's a word of mouth market. I think that counts for a lot more in many respects than, let's just say, a venture-backed company that has very few customers and still trying to find product market fit. That's great. Well, I, 1,600 people is, is really impressive. Uh, I'm going to share the idea, Nick, that we had in my, one of my previous roles, but never used, not because it's a bad idea, but we've never got around to it, which is, um, and take this, take this as you will, but you give people a flashing light. So if you walk into Lloyd's and there's a light flashing above someone's desk, it means that DQ Pro is being used here. So that uh, not just can you talk about 1,600 users, but someone walking into Lloyd's because of all these flashing lights going as people are actually using your software, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> It'd be amazing. But I've got one better than that. We walked into the walkie-talkie recently and our team were astounded to see that DQ Pro was featured on these iPads all over the wall, the lobby of um, one of the biggest carriers in that building. Um, and they were talking about how it's being used and value it was adding. And that was just outside the lift. So that was a real, <laughs> that's a real moment for us. That was as good as a flashing light, if not better. Yeah, there it is. I mean, if people are using you to validate their business. And in this case, I guess validate how they take care of data that, yeah, it's a really, obviously a really good sign itself and gate publicity. Oh, yeah, well done. We'll hopefully see some more of those video screens with DQ Pro on them. Um, and then there's another question that people struggle with when they are building, selling, or sort of trying to build a business case for software is how do you define the sometimes called total cost of ownership, but it's really the business case where if someone's making, looking at an investment in technology, and they've got to make that case internally. How should they think about, and maybe just using DQ Pro as an example, but how should they think about the cost versus the return from investing in technology? Yeah, the first point is almost certainly that historically, no one's really added up the true cost in the back office of bad data, frictional cost of a piece of data that comes in through the front end, isn't corrected, and then impacts actuaries, finance, claims, credit control, so you can sometimes get a five, 
six, seven times multiplier on that initial issue, which causes cost and inefficiency in the business. So in terms of sort of adding that up, you've got to think about it in a number of different dimensions. One is around the compliance risk. So we've had several high profile instances where CARA has been fined a large amount because of a control breach and because they found out about that control breach late. So being in a position where you're proactive can identify these things quickly is arguably going to save you money with the regulator long-term. Secondly, you can also look at the time and motion approach. We had one very large US carrier just to run one control in their operations team was taking one hour, 20 minutes a week. That doesn't sound like that much. When you consider they maybe had 300, 400 different types of exception ports they wanted to run, that's, that's quite a big cost if you average that out over the year in terms of um, uh, FTE hours. So we were able to reduce that to, I think it was 10 or 15 minutes by automating using our technology. And that's a, that's a very tangible example of how hours can be saved in the, in the process and therefore cost. Two things in there. One, that first point about the cost of the data being incorrect and the fines being levied. People can Google some of the big fines out there, but they're, they're significant. They're like hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines. And then the other point you make is the frictional cost, which individually, and that's part of the problem sometimes, it looks quite small until you start adding out multiple people, multiple hours. And then suddenly you realize there's a, there's a massive cost that's being buried in the business. And, then, and until you can actually figure it out and change it, then you don't necessarily understand the saving. But once someone can start to assess that, it's a very compelling case. Um, and then I want to talk about, about some of the, the decision-making and influence you've had within the industry, whether it's London or the US or other areas in the world. There are a number of initiatives that people are starting to put together to drive the necessary change in terms of how data is being collected and how it's being assessed. It's all part of having the confidence to move to a digital market. I know you're, you've been involved in some of those is there an example or two you could talk about where you've been either influencing or, or maybe even leading some of the new developments? Yeah, what's well, been great, I guess, with over 40% of the Lloyd's market now using our software, our London market using our software, we've built a really strong community around the product. And we've been able to share and swap information in a way that uh, we're hoping is going to move mar- the market forward. So what we noticed, we built the software originally, it was to let carriers run their own checks within our software in a much easier, more efficient way. What we quickly realized was that there were lots of common rules that were being used uh, by carriers across the piece, but there wasn't commonality in terms of how those rules were being applied. So you'd see one carrier would be really strong on the compliance side, but perhaps they'd be weaker when it came to their underwriting controls and vice versa with another. So working with our customer base, we crowdsourced and codified what we consider to be a library of the most essential checks that carriers should use to have confidence in their data. That's the DQ Pro Market standard. It continuously evolves with feedback from that network effect from our customers and gets better every year. And it's it's our first effort at showing what good looks like when it comes to getting the data right for a digital world. Yeah, it's a great example of sort of the community benefit of each individual participant make some contribution so the the sum is better than the the parts at the end of it just because you've got all those different views going into it and yeah the great thing about data quality is everybody benefits at the end of the day from having better data quality you know there's less sort of competitive advantage i mean obviously there is at some level but ultimately it's a benefit to all parties in the chain and then just as you wrap up nick what what's next for you and, and dq pro very much moving upstream 
So we've been delighted to work with carriers to now and, and our first MGA customers. Uh, but the closer we can get to providing people with confidence and certainty, uh, you know, at, at the earliest point in the placement process, the better. Uh, we want to build out the tool to support brokers. So our, around the broking side, the, the MGA side is key for us. Our product roadmap is very focused on market integration. Uh, so we're really looking forward to working with other companies, other vendors as well in the market to make that happen. And we've got some exciting news coming up, I think, in the next six months, which can be really interesting in terms of making that happen. Well, don't forget to share it with us and we'll help to share it with the world. But look forward to seeing that. And then for our, our listener that is just about to unplug us and, uh, and tomorrow someone <laughs> says to them, well, what's going on at DQ Pro these days? What's that all about? What should we leave them ringing in their ears about you and the organization? Well, data quality is everything. It's one of the most important, meaningful things you can do to prepare for the future. If you're still in the early stages of that, then you need to talk to us. We have over 40% of the London market now who agree that would be a great starting point. How do they find out more about DQ Pro? Nick Mayer on LinkedIn or write to us info at dqpro.com. Great. Well, no, I really enjoy catching up and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing about some of those developments in the near future. And uh, I think anybody over in the UK who wants to see you, I know you're around fairly regularly, so if they can't get hold of you directly, then they can come back and we can make the introductions. But uh, no, many thanks. Great. Thank you, Matthew. Pleasure to be on. Thanks. Hi, I'm Jack, part of the Research Insights team at Instech. Our next event is on the 24th of November and is supported by S&P Global. We will continue our exploration of how insurers are measuring and managing climate-related risk, including transitioning to new areas of insurance. We'll be joined by companies that are offering tools and data and the insurers using these. The event takes place at Cordnode and begins at 4.30. For more information on speakers and to register, visit the Instat website. Well, I always enjoy these founder stories and particularly for companies that have moved beyond the chasm of the technology adoption curve and are achieving real scale with clients around the world. You can contact us to learn more and you'll find details of our next event reports and everything we're up to on the website www.instat.co. That's it. We're done.